What does it look like to live in faith? What does it look like to live in faith? In fact, what would it look like for you to live by faith? What would it look like for you and I to live by faith? Trust the Lord and not just step out and do what He told us because you never take one step in faith. You take one step and then another step and another step when you're following the Lord in faith. What would it look like for us to live by faith? The way of faith is always going to be the way of obedience. The way of faith is always going to be the way of obedience. When we're following Him in faith, we're going to be walking in obedience to what He tells us, how He guides us, and what He has for us to do. We're going to be looking today, continuing to study Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12. Now, this is called in the Scriptures the faith chapter, or I should say people have called it the faith chapter, because it begins, as we've seen, by defining what faith is, faith is a certainty. It is a certainty in the person of God, and it is a certainty in the purpose of God, a certainty in the character of God. Because I am certain of Him, because I am certain of God's purpose, because I am certain of God's character, that I can trust Him, therefore I step out on the firm ground of faith. And we saw that faith is like that title deed to a house. I may not have seen the house yet, I may not have gone in the house, but I've got the deed in my hand that says that I own the house and our deed are the promises of God contained in His Word and we live out on those promises claiming that title deed to God's character and to His work among us. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 starts with that definition of faith and then it moves to giving examples from the Old Testament of those who lived out that faith. And we saw last week that Noah was an example of that. As God came to him and said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And Noah was like, do what? And Noah never even seen a decent rainstorm, let alone a flood. And God said, I want you to build an ark. Then he gave him the dimensions. And it was huge, the size of several football fields. And I want you to build this ark. And for the next 130 years, Noah builds an ark. And as he's building the ark... People are coming by, and they're laughing at him, and they're ridiculing him. And he's saying, you need to get ready, because God's going to judge this world. And people just poke fun at him. It took faith day after day after day to keep building something that people thought Noah was, you know, had lost it because he was building it. But faith sometimes is going to make us look crazy. When you and I walk in faith and live in faith, sometimes it's going to make sense. But more times than not, it's not going to make sense. And people are going to look at us and say we're crazy for what we are doing to step out and serve the Lord and follow Him. And we're at times going to look at ourselves in the mirror and wonder, am I losing it? Uh, following the Lord and doing what God's calling me. Maybe everybody else is right. Maybe I am losing it and following the Lord and doing what He's got for me. Now, today we're going to look at Abraham. Back in the book of Genesis, we are introduced at the very onset of Israel's history to the father of that nation, who was Abraham. Now, Abraham grew up and lived in a city called Earl of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia in what is today southern Iraq. Earl was a fascinating place. For the ancient world, it was a place of high sophistication, great business, mathematical calculations. It was known for its ability to do math. You would have architecture and so forth. And in the center 
of this metropolitan area, one of the, again, richest and most well-developed cities of the ancient world. You had this great big huge temple with a great big gold dome on it to the moon god Naaman. And archaeologists have uncovered that the worship of Naaman was through human sacrifice. And so it was a very pagan area, and it was an area of tremendous idol worship in the midst of being very well-educated, very advanced, sitting on the Euphrates River. Had an elaborate system of writing, which was very unique for the ancient world. And Abraham grew up in this city and was living there and into his adulthood in this city when God came to him. So let's join the story, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to begin at verse 8. Writer of Hebrews reflecting on Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out. Now this is where it gets crazy. Not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac, who was his son, and Jacob, who was his grandson, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, his wife Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. What does the way of faith look like? The way of faith is always going to look like obedience. God appears to Abraham and gives him a promise. Now, over in Acts chapter 7, in Stephen's speech, he refers to Abraham as he gives the history of the nation of Israel in this sermon he preached. And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Now notice how he identifies him here as the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Abraham, born in Ur, grows up in Ur, sees the wealth all around him, no doubt got a good education, aspiring to become someone there in Ur. And he is an idol worshiper of this moon god, and God comes to him in the midst of all of that and says, Abraham, pack it up and leave Ur and go out. And I'm not going to tell you where you're going. You just got to follow me and you got to trust me. Now, notice what he says. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. What in the world made Abraham decide that he was going to follow God instead of following the false God he had grown up with? 
What in the world would have made Abraham decide that he was going to begin to walk in faith, choose to live in faith, and walk away from Ur, everything he'd ever known, his family, the wealth, the education, all of it, to go out into the desert of the Middle East and not know where he was going? Because God had appeared to him as the God of glory. God brought his glory to bear on his life. Now, we're not told exactly how he did it, and chances are God came to him multiple times and revealed his glory to him day after day after day. Listen, when God calls you, he will always precede the calling with a manifestation in your life of his glory. One way or another, he's going to show you the glory of who he is, the power of who he is, the might of who he is to build and to strengthen your faith. And so God calls to him and speaks to him and God begins to work in his life and show him the glory of who he is. Now Abraham's way back in Genesis. Abraham did not have all this biblical history to work off of. And so what did Abraham see of the glory of God? Well, the first and most prominent aspect of it would have been that God was the God of creation. When Abraham looked around him and he saw the sun, he saw the stars at nighttime on the moon, when he drank water, when he looked at the animals, he recognized recognized that God had made all of this and created all of this, and as he began to understand God as creator, he saw the power of God, the intelligence of God, the work of God all around him. And so if I can trust God, then I can follow him. Now, if you go back to the book of Genesis, every time in those early chapters that God creates, whatever it is he's creating, it says that God would step back from it, look at his creation, and he would say, it's good. Everything he created, he'd say, it's good. Why was it good? Because what he created was a reflection of his character. The character of God was reflected in what he was creating. So when Abraham looks at what God has created and sees the goodness of God and what God had created, he says, I can trust God. I know I can trust God because if God created this and it was good, I know I can trust the character of God. And folks, that's where we tend to struggle in the area of faith. Can I really trust God with my life? Can I really trust God with this decision? Can I really step out and begin to live a life of faith? Can I trust God in whatever God is calling me to do or to become? Can I trust God? If the character of God is good, then I can trust Him. If I'm not too sure about the character of God, then I don't know if I can trust him or not. So he saw the glory of God in the goodness of God. Let me say that again. Abraham saw the glory of God in the goodness of God. And because he saw the glory of God in the goodness of God, he knew that he could trust God and that he could follow God. You and I will obey God to the degree and to the place that we trust him. The place to where we trust his character, we will trust his purpose, and we will follow him. If I say I trust God, and then I don't really have any faith in the goodness of God, I'm just playing games with faith. Faith is always going to express itself in obedience that's based on my faith in the character and in the goodness of God. Now notice what happens when God comes to Abraham, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was, and notice this verb, key verb called to go out to a place, called, God came to Abraham and at a certain point, consistently and persistently, 
God began to speak to him. And he began to call him. Now, I don't personally don't believe that God came to Abraham on one day and said, Abraham, pack your bags and get out of Ur and head down the road. Because God's call usually doesn't come just pinpoint like that. It's day after day after day. You can't get away from it. It is consistent and it is persistent. And God spoke to him over and over and over again. That call. God will build your faith and he will strengthen your faith as he calls you. God's call gives us direction. Abraham, pack it up and go in this direction. It's going to give you purpose. If you just stopped Abraham and said, Abraham, why are you packing everything up? Abraham, why are you leaving your family? Why are you leaving Ur where you grew up? Abraham, why? Abraham would have said, God has spoken to me. God has called me. This one who created the world has called me. He is calling me. He's told me that he's got a a land that he has promised me that he's taken me to. He's told me he's going to give me a posterity. That I'm going to have grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. I don't even have one child right now. But if he could pull off creating this world, I know he can take care of the grandkid issue. And so I am trusting him. He's given me a purpose. I am moving where I'm moving in life because I've got a purpose, and that is to live out the call of God on my life. And that gave him energy to get out of bed every morning, to pack up that tent day after day and move to a new place. When he wanted to stop, when he got tired, when he wanted to give out, that calling gave him energy. And folks, the call of God on our lives, recognizing that calling, living that call out will give you direction, it will give you purpose, and it will give you energy. God will release a divine energy inside of you to live out that calling that he has for you. Now, Abraham heard this call from God. Abraham grows up in Ur. And he looks around at the university. He sees the business. He sees all these mathematical calculations, etc. he can learn. No doubt Abraham began to see the possibilities of being a success by Ur's standards. He began to see and potentially could have begun to dream about the kind of business person he wanted to become. With all these people he was rubbing shoulders with who were successful in business there in Ur. It would be very easy and expected to have a dream that you wanted to achieve living in Ur. And then God comes to him and he gives him a call. And the call would not have aligned at all with the dream that Abraham would have had for his life. We need to be careful that we don't develop dreams for where we want to go, what we want to do, what we want to become that are not in alignment with the call of God. 
there is a lot of preaching, teaching, etc. going on today that says, come up with your dream, what you want to achieve in life, and then ask God to bless it, and He will bless it, and you can achieve the dream that you've got for your life. That sounds great. The problem is it is totally unbiblical. In the scriptures, what you see is don't dream your dream and what you can come up with for your life. Listen for the God's call on your life. God has never committed himself to fulfilling our dreams. He has committed himself to fulfilling his call on your life. When we live out the call of God for our lives, our lives will be in alignment with God's desire, God's will for our life, and He then will begin to work into our lives and to pour out His provision. But our dreams are ultimately going to be about self-promotion. Living out the call of God is saying, I'm doing what I'm doing to the glory of Jesus Christ, to bring honor and attention to Jesus, to point people to Jesus. Whatever I'm doing... My ultimate goal is to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've, I think, done a tremendous disservice in that we've tended to understand calling is, well, if you're going to be a minister or a missionary or do church work, then you are called of God and everybody else ought to wandering around trying to make it up. And that's not the case at all. The scriptures teach that all of us, in whatever line of work we're in, have a calling from God, a place and a way that God wants to take your life and He wants to use your life. So I've got to make sure that I don't dream my dreams, but rather I say, God, what is your calling? How do you want to use me, Lord? I want to have my life in alignment with that, and I'm going to live my life, God, in whatever I'm doing to bring honor and to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus was initially not known as a preacher. He was known as a carpenter. His dad was a carpenter. Joseph's calling to raise Jesus was as a carpenter. The men that Jesus called to follow him were fishermen and served him in that capacity. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was a tent maker by profession and served God in the capacity of being a tent maker. Now, how do you recognize God's call? Let me give you a number of of hints. Number one, it will be deep in your heart. It will be deep in your heart. What God calls you to do, how God wants to use you, is going to be deep inside of you. Number two, God's call is persistent and it is consistent. It is persistent and it is consistent. It will, God will just stay on you day after day after day. When it's us and our emotions, then once the emotions run out, we walk away from it. God is persistent and consistent. Number three, there will be the affirmation of others who walk with the Lord. In other words, folks will, who walk with God will be around your life, and they will say, I recognize this, and I recognize how God's working in your life, and I just want to confirm that and affirm that in your life. Number four, God is going to equip you and provide you with gifts, abilities, desire, curiosity, and a strange comfort or ease when you shouldn't feel that way naturally. God's going to give you abilities to, to live out that calling. 
But he's also going to give you a curiosity that will drive you in that calling. And he's going to give you a strange comfort or ease. In other words, you're going to be out doing stuff for the Lord. And you're going to think, I'll not be doing this. This shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't fall into place the way it's fallen into place. And that's just evidence of the call of the Lord on your life. Notice verse 8. It says, he went out. Fascinating. The the tense of the verb there means that as the words were literally coming out of God's mouth, Abraham started packing his bags. You think about that. Literally, as God was saying to him, Abraham, it's time for you to hit the road. Abraham's over there putting the clothes in the suitcase, getting ready to go. Folks, when, when God works in us, the best thing to do is do not hesitate but step out and move in the obedience. The more we hesitate, the longer it takes us to get out there, and the more chances are we are not going to move. He says in verse 8, I'm telling you to go to a place where you don't know where you're going. I'm not giving you a map. I'm not giving you a GPS. I'm not giving you anything. All I'm giving you is a call, and I'm giving you a provision. Now you think about that. Abraham gets his wife, packs everything up, Folks that are traveling with you, maybe some immediate family members, and they say to Abraham, where are you headed? And Abraham says, I don't know. I may even hear you right, Abraham. Where are you headed? Can you imagine Sarah? Honey, where are we going? We got a nice home here. You doing well? Where are we going, honey? I don't know. You don't know. Now, I know you're a man, and you don't know where you're going half the time. But I really need to get some specificity here as to where are we going. I don't know. God hadn't told me. And so they leave the city. And as they walk out of the city, the shadow of the walls gets farther and farther. And they go into more and more desert. Where are we going? I don't know. God is going to show me. My experience has been that God, when He calls you, doesn't give you a whole lot of knowledge and prediction and detail about what's coming. I wish He did. It'd make it a whole lot easier. But He says, this is the direction I'm going to take your life. This is how I want to use you. And you just follow me. And we're like, God, can you give me a few details here? It'd be really nice if you could show me the five-year plan. And you're not even showing me the five-day plan. But you see, if God, if God laid it all out to us in detail, it wouldn't take any faith. When I've got to trust him day by day, that's where the faith grows and the faith is developed. Now, notice that the way of faith is nomadic going into verse 9. Now, James chapter 2 and verse 23 says that Abraham journeyed as a friend of God. Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Why was he called a friend of God? It's not some nice title. It's that God looked at him and he says, Abraham is my friend. As we used to say back in the hood, Abraham is my homie. And why would God say that? Because when God looked at him, he says, Abraham, trust me. And Abraham's walking with me. And Abraham's just, just hanging with me, even though he doesn't know where I'm taking him. He is going there. And then notice it says that he went to a land of promise, the land that God had promised him. 
But notice how it says that he went to that land of promise. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. I want to read that verse one more time because there is so much packed in there. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. In other words, Abraham goes into the land that God's got for him, and he's a foreigner when he gets there. He's treated like a stranger. He's a new kid on the block. But he's in the land of promise. First thing I want you to see is the land of promise was where God's promises were being fulfilled that he had given to Abraham. But the land of promise was not the place for him to settle down and call home. He had one home, we'll see it in a moment, but it was heaven. Folks, we live in the land of promise, but the land of promise and heaven are not one and the same. This place we live at right now is where God is fulfilling certain promises in our lives, but this place, this earth, will never be our home. If this virus has reminded us of anything, is how limited and sick and messed up this world is. This is not home. This is not the end of the game. Now the problem is that when we as believers begin to live like this earth is our home, then we start taking on the culture. We start thinking like the culture, acting like the culture, conforming ourselves to the culture. And one of the problems I think the church has got today and believers have got today is we have swallowed the lie that this earth and this culture in this place is our home. Our citizenship is never here. Our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. And we don't take on the culture of this world. If you and I take on the culture of this world, it's going to take us away from the Lord. It's going to take us into discouragement. And we will end up angry with God because we're telling God, Lord, you're not blessing. You're not doing this and you're not doing this. And God's looking at us and saying, I didn't promise to do all this stuff this side of heaven. I promised it on the other side, but I haven't promised it on this side. you got certain promises that you're living in here, but the land of promise here is not heaven. Abraham got up every morning, he looked around him when he walked out of his tent, and he said, you know, this is, I'm going to walk in the promise of God today, God's given me this lamb, I'm going to walk in the promises of God today, God's going to take care of me, but I got one eye looking around me, but I got a spiritual eye that's looking over on the other side to heaven. Because this place is never going to be my home. I'm always going to be a foreigner. And folks, we as believers and followers of Jesus Christ are always going to be countercultural. They talk today about counsel council culture well we are countercultural. we don't live conforming to the culture god has called us to live and following him and that is always going to mean that we're going to be often counter to a lot of the culture that we're living in now notice verse 9 it says that they lived in tents i want you to imagine this with me abraham is sitting there in the tent and his son isaac is there and his grandson jacob is there Daddy, granddaddy, when are we going to build a house? When are we going to settle down? Well, we're not. We're not. We can't have a house like everybody else. We can't have a plot of land like everybody else. No. 
Why? Because this is not our home. Well, where is our home? I'm looking for a city, son. Jacob, I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. We're never going to get but so comfortable here. You, you're always going to feel like you're just really not a part of it here. Because you're not as his follower. You know, I, I've looked at that story for years in Genesis where Abraham took Isaac and they went up there to that place and Isaac asked, where's the offering going to come from? And Abraham said, well, well, son, God's going to provide an offering. And Isaac went up there and laid down. And, you know, Abraham got ready to take his son's life. And I've always looked at that story and wondered, how in the world did a kid that young, because we think Isaac was probably a teenager at the time, how did he have that kind of faith? I mean, if it had been me, I think I'd have been laying on the altar looking at my dad saying, Lord, this man has lost it big time. I'm getting out of here. How did he have faith like that? Because he grew up in that kind of faith. Isaac grew up watching his dad as a friend of God believe God and trust God and walk with God. And when dad said God will provide, Isaac must have thought, well, I've seen God provide every day of my life so I can trust daddy's faith. Because I've seen God come through for us over and over again. Do you see what's happening here with Abraham and his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob? Every day he was communicating and passing on to the next generation of his family. Not just a physical generation, but a faith that they could walk in and carry. You see, when God said, I'm promising you a posterity, children child and grandchildren. He wasn't just saying, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of youngins. He was saying, I'm going to give you a faith to pass on to the next generation. That was the legacy of his life. Folks, when you and I live by faith, we are role modeling the faith to our children. We are passing the faith on to the next generation. That is essential part of the calling. Now notice verse 10. It said he was looking forward Oh, I mean, I love verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Not a tent anymore. A city that has foundations. Whose designer and builder is God. Every day Abraham got up and he looked through spiritual eyes with certainty to that city that God was building designed and built. And folks, that's the same calling that you and I have. Now, we're going to skip over to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, last book of the Bible, where it describes that city, the city that God is building, the city that God is calling us to, what heaven is going to look like and what heaven's going to be like. Revelation chapter 21, and I'm not going to preach in detail on it because I don't have time, but I just want to give you a picture of what that city looks like. Because we need to be like Abraham. We are looking for that city. And he carried me away. This is John, the writer of the book of Revelation speaking. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God. Now listen to the description of it. First of all, it says it has the glory of God. It's radiance. 
like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had, great, it had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, <clears throat> on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 strata. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. Now, anytime gold is pure to the place that it has no impurities, it's as clear as glass. That is the idea of the purity of, of heaven. No sin. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carlinile, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth crystophase, the eleventh japheth, the twelfth amethyst. Now, I am no jeweler, but I imagine that's pretty, pretty nice looking, Paul. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. As someone has said, heaven is so magnificent that God uses gold for asphalt in heaven. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. In other words, all ethnicities will be there. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. God heals every person in that place. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. People ask, what will I do in heaven? We will worship They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no lamp or light or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You go back to verse 4. They will see his face. You can't get any better than that. What is heaven going to be like? 
We are going to gaze into the face of Jesus. Man, you just can't get any better than that. We will gaze into the face of Jesus and worship him. And folks, every day when we get up, that's what we need to be anticipating. I don't care how bad the news is, heaven's waiting. I don't care what we're facing, heaven's waiting. That's our hope. That's what God is ultimately calling us to. And that's why we can step out and live in faith. What is God calling you to do by faith? What is God calling you this day to do by faith? Let's pray. And I want to give you a moment in prayer to talk with God about whatever it is that He's calling you to do by faith.